Accelerating Careers in Real Estate with Nick Carman. Brought to you by McDonald & Company. The Accelerating Careers in Real Estate podcast is now supported by the Urban Land Institute. To find out more about becoming a member, please follow the link in the show notes, remembering to quote the promo code ACRE to take advantage of all the benefits of our partnership. More details at the end of this podcast. So this afternoon, I'm joined by Charlotte Constance, founder of Conductor since 2014. And Conductor explains they are the science and soul to spaces and places. So Charlotte, thank you very much for joining me. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. So I always kick off in the same, the same way. Tell us, how does the story begin in chapter one? Ah, so yes, I think chapter one was my formative years, which definitely shaped who I am today, which was boarding school. <laughs> so at the tender age of 11, living in Swaziland in Southern Africa, with not a lot of educational facilities surrounding where we lived, I went off to uh, South Africa to school uh, for five years, which were my high school years. And I was a very shy little girl who didn't even like sleepovers at friends' houses. And suddenly I was in, in full boarding, in a boarding school. And uh, to say I was homesick was, would be an understatement. Um, but the one thing that it did do was, uh, well, make friends for life, but also uh, really teach me to be independent and resilience, which is something that has uh, stood me kind of firm throughout my later years um, and something that I come back to on a regular basis. Um, so from going from being shy to being kind of having to put yourself out there is, was, was an amazing lesson for me. And then tell us how, how this develops. What happens next after sporting school? So I then went off to the University of Cape Town, where I drank my way <laughs> and partied my way through my first year, not <laughs> um, in an awful way, in a fun way, um, and I didn't pass that year, so I went back again. They had very nastily put Stats 101 on a Monday morning at 8am. So that wasn't really my, my strongest subject. But when I went back in year two, um, I changed from the course of becoming a financial accountant, uh, which really wasn't suited to my personality and skill set, uh, to marketing. And um, I started to find my groove a little bit more. And... It was a fantastic place to be um, uh, with brilliant lecturers and, 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 as I said, the social life was brilliant. But really, you know, thinking back to those years, what I studied, yes, marketing, that was interesting, economics, a lot of commercial subjects like taxation and management accounting. And they put me in good stead for running a business, but I didn't really kind of I didn't, I didn't leave with a skill set where I could walk into a job. I hadn't really found my niche. 
And I was very, very lucky to be accepted into um, a small postgraduate, which at the time was affiliated to the, the big ad agency, Ogilvy & Mather, uh, the Red and Yellow School of Logic and Magic. <laughs> and, um, you know, people laugh at the name, but actually the science and soul, the logic and magic, you can kind of see the parallels with Conductor. And um, there I did a postgraduate in, in marketing and advertising communications. And it was run like a real life, a live ad agency. We had our creatives, we had our suits, we had our copywriters. I was a suit. And we um, simulated kind of real, well, we, we worked on real life projects. But what was interesting was that you were marked by your peers. So you were in groups and teams and the group got a mark and then according to what the what the team marked you, you went up or down on that mark. And that was really, really interesting because it was all about pulling your weight in a team, communication, respect for other people's ideas and values, uh, working together, collaboration, all those things that at the time I just thought were, you know, a bit of a pain actually in some some instances but actually were really the grounding for for you know work later in my in later on when I started my career it sounds brutal I am um, sort of grading <laughs> each other it was good it was good fun though <laughs> yeah it was pretty brutal <laughs> So uh, tell us what happened uh, uh, after sort of uh, post grad. Then how how long did you stay in uh, in South Africa, and when did you when did you uh, happen onto our happy shores? So I was actually born in born in the UK, up north in Lancashire, despite my accent. So it was a it was a kind of I'd, I'd left you know my parents had left when I was nearly two, um, and so it had been a long time, and I came. I came back to the UK straight after my postgrad. Um, at the time, a lot of um, my generation, you know, came over for two years. We were going to do a bit of work, a bit of backpacking. And my older brother lives here, was living here already, and I, I stayed. But I, it was really tricky. I came over in the January. I left the summer in, in South Africa. I was living in, with my brother, which I was very lucky in the beginning, but I could not find a job. I literally walked the streets. I dropped my CV off in, you know, in ad agencies and, and marketing agencies at their reception and tried to, you know, wangle my way into meeting people. I, I must have sent off, you know, my CV to, I, I, I can't, I, I mean, I just can't even remember. It was, it was tricky. And, um, and at the time, you know, I was even looking into telemarketing and I'd, I'd come over a few times and done a bit of work experience. I worked at Carphone Warehouse and Barclays Bank, where, where, by the way, I faxed a whole massive document upside down to another <laughs> bank. <laughs> and I'm speaking about faxing back in the day. <laughs> but yeah, I, I couldn't find a job. And a friend of a friend of a friend knew a South African girl who was leaving her job and put me forward for an interview. And I was up against, I think, 10 other people or so. And I somehow managed to get the job, which was a marketing executive for Robinson Lowe Francis, and now known as RLF, which were a property consultancy based in Clerkenwell. And 
that was such a blessing because that was really the start of my career. They paid me well for being a, a newbie and I just had so many opportunities there. It really was fantastic. Well, then let's, uh, let's dig into a little bit more about that. What, to, during that sort of first sort of name career chapter, what do you think you were learning the most at, those, at that stage? How to wing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, at the time, the senior partner, because it was a, a partnership, was a, an older gentleman, um, a lovely man, Mr. Ben. Um, that's not what I called him. And he, he wasn't really into marketing, but he knew the importance of it. And so I was really left to my own devices in terms of, of a blank sheet of paper. They'd never really done any marketing. There were six or seven offices dotted across the country. And so what I learned there was about taking initiative, really, was, right, you know, no one's telling you what to do. No one's looking over your shoulder. Uh, results are required. So what are you going to do? You know, no, one, no one's holding your hand, really. Um, and so that was it, really. It was about being proactive, about booking those tickets to Liverpool, to Birmingham, to Glasgow, to go to the other offices and meet the people, networking internally, and, and just really, you know, being able to present uh, something that a business had never done before in a way that could convince them that they needed to spend money on it and time and effort on it as well. So yeah, I'd say initiative. So Charlotte, you know, you know we like to do our, our research sort of coming <laughs> into this. Um, what do you think if I'd spoken to someone who'd worked with you or uh, you'd worked for in those early days, how do you think they might have described you? Quite stroppy. Um, <laughs> Uh, a, maybe a little bit of a know-it-all. <laughs> um, well, probably... I'll put, I'll put you, let me put you. I'll put you out your misery. Put you <laughs> misery. So, um, so I asked. Uh, I asked them to describe what they thought was your most prominent trait. And this, is, this is what they said. She never holds back. It was probably being very direct, and the con the consequence was it always brought out the best in in others because. They knew they could they couldn't shy away from talking from talking very openly and honestly about about the issues. Now that's a lovely thing to say, isn't it? What I'm curious about is that how you had the confidence you think to sort of to, to do that. It's it suggests you know you didn't go looking for conflict, but you, at the same time you didn't shy away from conflict. How did you? you know, where did that sort of confidence came from at such an early stage in that career? I'm sorry, I just think that's so interesting that you that. The person you asked said, um, because I was thinking about that the other day, actually, and how difficult conversations are so important to have, at, you know, relationships, work relations. Anyway, I, I don't want to go from that tangent, but to answer your question, what gave me the confidence? I, I think, I think probably my my upbringing and kind of my family and and the kind of openness of of talking about things. So that was probably, you know, a foundation for me that, yeah, it's not, we're not always going to, you know, we're not always going to have easy conversations, but they need to be had. So that was kind of instilled in me from an early age. But I, 
and, and maybe it was partly also a, a bit of a South African kind of upbringing where people are quite uh, direct and maybe more so than than some of the British culture. So, and that has been misinterpreted by a few people in my career as maybe being aggressive as opposed to assertive. But yeah, I think I think I probably I just I gathered that along the way of of you know looking at at people who were successful and and actually you know the person that I think that you might have spoken to who <laughs> could have said that was no stranger to uh, difficult conversations himself and uh, was my mentor. So I was learning that and being being shown that from the people that I was surrounded by. Um, uh, out of interest, I'm, I'm, this this might sound a slightly barbed sort of question. Um, how easy was it to to do that, given it's the early two thousands? You're working within marketing, a support function for a business that hasn't that hasn't previously sort of been sort of. Uh, you mentioned yourself sort of uh, marketing sort of or brand sort of savvy. I would have thought it would have been very easy just to sort of dismiss this sort of young South African sort of voice. Um, yes, and a female in in the property industry as well. You know, not to kind of bring up the the diversity conversation, but I I had to fight every. You know, I I, I do feel like throughout my career, and and when we get onto some of the later periods as well, that. You know, I, I think I started off. That's why I said stroppy in the beginning, where I just would push forward my ideas because I knew or I thought that they were right. But what I quickly learned was this idea of of evidence and and research and backing up arguments. Uh, I've been, you know, marketing in in the property world. I've been called the coloring in department, the arts and crafts department. <laughs> And I can see why that stereotype was applied to marketeers back in the day, because it was all about spending money on brand and, you know, not necessarily thinking about sales or business development or how, where the link was between. And I, and I soon realized that, you know, if I'm going to get my ideas across, I have to form a business case. I have to form a logical argument to support why I want to do something or why I think it's the best course of action. And then it's based, and then I always knew that the decision was based on the the information and the data, and it wasn't emotional, because I used to, before that I took things quite personally. So if somebody said no to me, I took it as being, you know, I got very defensive. Whereas when I had my ducks in a row and I had my evidence together, if somebody, it was then a business decision, yes or no, can we afford it, what are the benefits, what are the outcomes? And I learned that very early on, not to take things personally if uh, I've got all of that data and that evidence together. And that's, that's the basis of, of Conductor today. So you said, you, Charlotte, you've given us a bit of a tease then in terms of for, you know, for what's going to happen sort of, uh, later on in your career. Sticking with with RLF, what would you think was the spark then to wanting to to make a change and and to to once more then sort of to to uh, possibly sort of move into a new chapter? I was very lucky to be made head of marketing, and I actually became an associate partner, and I think that just scared the you know what out of me because I thought, goodness, if I'm committing to this now, you know, I was oh, I can't remember, I was probably twenty six or so. 
you know, I, I kind of feel like I'm, I'm going to stay here for a long time. And I've been there for four years and it was a business to business role. And I want to get closer to a business con to consumer role. I'm interested in people and what makes people tick. And so I made that decision to, to move on from that business very sadly, but, you know, still in contact with, with some of them, which is good all these years later. Okay. So then to tell us about um, uh, what comes next. What do, you, what do you think you were looking for? <laughs> well, if, you, if, I, if I had to send you my CV, Nick, I'm not sure that you'd find me a, a job based on the next few years. Um, to say it was a little bit of a, uh, it wasn't really a shambles looking back uh, and thinking about, you know, us talking today because, you know, every part of it had a, you know, its own purpose but I did chop and change around. So within, I think, the next four years or, or five years, I think I had three or four, you know, four or five different roles. Um, I went across to a property developer as, as marketing director. Things didn't really work out with that business. And I actually left with the creative director and we set up a, an interior design business together where we were looking to provide good design to on an affordable basis. So that was setting up a business, cold calling, had no contacts. And, you know, we did well. We managed to land, you know, Catalyst Housing and Genesis. And, and we did some good work, but it just, it was, it was tough. It was really, really tough. I think that was kind of 2008-ish and obviously the world had gone mad mm. and starting an interior design business wasn't the best then. And then I went on to Candy and Candy where I was head of new business. So from affordable design to the most expensive, uh, you know, luxury homes and design. And I worked directly for, for Nick and Chris uh, Candy. And I mean, that was a, an experience. And yeah, I got fired basically <laughs> from that one. I mean, I got made redundant, but basically they fired me. I didn't toe the line, I don't think enough. But I, yeah, I mean, I loved it there in terms of the talent that was in that business, the designers and architects. And it was a time of one Hyde Park. It was, it was really exciting, but it wasn't for me. You know, the luxury, that luxury end of the market isn't where I was at. And then from you know, previous uh, days at RLF, um, I knew, had some contacts and they'd started a business called the Marketing Center. And it's an amazing business. It's done so well. It's, it's basically freelance marketing directors. And they'd started it and I was kind of third to join. I don't know how many people they have now. And I, I really wanted in. I wanted some equity and uh, because I was starting to really feel that entrepreneurial side of me. And um that didn't happen. And then one of my clients was Mount Anvil and Killian Hurley or started working with him and he offered me the job of, of marketing director there. So yeah, it, 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 it was around about few years to get to Mount Anvil, but that was a definitely working there for nearly three years was a defining moment for me in my career very much. Well, before we dig into that, just just going back to the sort of the the period sort of two thousand sort of seven to sort of um, the zigzag. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, given sort of the topic of uh, this sort of conversation is is all about sort of uh, the waves through people's careers. You know, sort of uh, learning, resting, sparks for new things. 
could you put your finger on terms of sort of what you what you learnt then from when things didn't go right? Yes. So I think when things aren't going right and change is afoot, it can often feel like the end of the world, <laughs> especially at that age, especially when, you know, and during those times, those all those different, you know, jobs I mentioned or roles, I also had periods of unemployment as well, which wasn't fun. And I think, you know, once again, it's that, okay, when there's change, there's opportunity. But it was about, I, I firmly believe, you know, you kind of, you make your own luck. And so it was about keep coming back to resilience, about bouncing back, about reinventing and, and being able to take my skill sets, which I had, you know, through education and then also obviously my early career and looking at ways in which I could use those skills, you know, in different roles or different, different businesses and rather than just being um, just a head of marketing or a marketing director, okay, new business, okay, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. So kind of being adaptable, adaptability, resilience, and being nimble, I think, are, are the main things that I took away from that. Did it knock your confidence? You know, we talked to me at the very, very start, didn't we? We heard that sort of the, that lovely sort of quote about sort of your, your confidence. I'm curious, did, did, that sort of four or five years then in, in transition, did that knock your confidence or did that build your confidence? I would say the beginning, the beginning period of the different jobs and my interior design business that didn't go well. Yes, I think I, I, I kind of bit of a, a lost ship at sea kind of, um, <laughs> I don't even know if that's the right terminology, but you know what I mean? It just it felt a bit kind of like I was just drifting, not really with a direction or a purpose. My family and friends were probably thinking, goodness, what's she doing? You know, they've never said that to me. But yeah, so I think I think it did. And I I also felt a bit hard done by, especially, you know, when I when I thought I was doing a really good job somewhere and I'd been made redundant or or whatever it was, and I didn't necessarily get the feedback to help me grow or or to tell me what I could have done better or or why something had happened. And I find find that really difficult where, you know, if if you're going to criticise somebody or act on something like a redundancy or whatever it is, then at least give people the opportunity to hear, you know, what what they could have done better or how they might improve. And so, yeah, I think I did. But when I went on to the marketing centre and I started doing my consulting and I had, you know, three or four different clients, I think I started to find my my groove again. Okay, then. So let's let's move on then to to Matt Anvil. Tell us a little bit more about sort of who you're working with and what you're working on. So Matt Anvil, one thing that Killian Hurley always said was uh, high challenge, high support, or, or something along those lines. So a very challenging environment, but also a very supportive environment. After a short time, I actually became a board director there. So I was just over 30. I was the only female on the board. And that was, you know, there was a lot of pressure surrounding that. And I, I felt constantly that I needed to prove myself, which probably didn't translate that well into just day-to-day working in, in that kind of pressure. But it was 
probably more the pressure I put on myself than they put on me. But it was a fantastic time to be there. I mean, you know, Killian is a visionary, really. He's an unbelievable leader. And um, we, you know, when I went in there, Mount Anvil was coming out of being a, a contractor, you know, housing association background into a developer. And, you know, it was amazing being a marketing director. We worked on the, on the business brand. Um, we launched seven or eight different developments during that time. They were all hugely successful. We grew the team. You know, we were one of the first businesses to get a, you know, property businesses to really get like ahead of digital marketing. We had such fun. Uh, we had the opportunity for self-growth and development and courses and training. And it was all there if you wanted it, you know, you wanted it. So that's why I say it was a real defining time for me because it was an exciting time to be a part of that business and to be a part of their growth and, and, and evolution. So, yeah, I loved it. And I look back on those days very, very fondly. Now, I want to bring a, a bit more of our research into this, uh, Charlotte, I think. Okay. And I spoke to, to, uh, to someone else who's been sort of a, um, I think it's probably maybe best to describe them as sort of as a, uh, as a, as a peer. And I asked them what they, what they thought was sort of one of the most interesting aspects of, of your career. And this is, this is what they say. What's fascinating about Charlotte is that she's always got another gear. Now, he went into a bit more detail and he said it's, it's very obvious to me when she's ready to take that next step, when she's ready to go up into uh, another role, because she's com she's completed the stages or she's added enough value to mean that she's now solved that problem and she'll be ready then to go looking for, for another one. Now, I wonder, I wonder if, if this sort of comment now is starting to reflect what might be happening at Mount Anvil. So you've said some most wonderful things about Mount Anvil, but you do leave, don't you? And I'm curious in terms of what the what the driver is to wanting to leave, and and how that might have shaped as to what you went on to go and do. Yeah, I think that's an interesting. Yeah, the um, I think we reached a point at Mount Anvil where I had probably added as much value to the process from both sides that we thought that I could. You know that that gone and done the, you know the rebranding launched these developments set up the team set up the processes i start getting you know kind of itchy feet and and i think they were also it was time for the next level for them in in their grown up you know that part of their growth and so what it, what it was particularly interesting at, at mount anvil was that um, we started to really bring in, and it was actually Kai Fenton who who came across from Barrett Holmes, who was, you know, had been there for years and years. And I worked very closely with him. And we really started to put data and analytics to, to the marketing and sales process. And it was this evidence again coming up, this research, this backing up, you know, why are we doing things? How can we evidence, you know, the reason for what we're doing? And um, that really that really inspired me, and and I, you know I love the numbers side of things, and and I just thought to myself, hang on, this means that whatever we produce and deliver for our customers is going to be better. It's going to be better, you know, better design, 
better location, better price point, you know, everything, if we can actually get this research right and, and, this, and this data flowing through the development process, we, we're going to end up with a better end product that is, that is more suited to the individual who's going to live there or the, the space and place where people are going to, you know, work or pass through or whatever it might be. And so that was really the spark for me for wanting to go and do that on a larger scale and kind of spread that out because I really felt like at the time Mount Anvil, one of the few businesses really, you know, thinking about that end customer and that, you know, I wanted more developers to be thinking along those lines and I wanted to be able to help them with that. Right then. Well, let's get into it then. So what, uh, what comes next? So yes, enter conductor, which until I had my little one two years ago was my baby <laughs> for five years. Yes. I mean, phew, what, a, what a ride it's been. It's, I don't think I really knew what I was getting myself in for starting a business from scratch and, and seeing it through the ups and downs and the COVIDs and, and, and all the rest of it. But I, I really love it. It's just a, a, like, you know, I don't think of it as a job really, but if, if somebody asks me if I enjoy my job, I say I love my job. And I think it's it's probably comes back to that that comment about the ne- there's always the next year or what's next, because when you run your own business, you can you you can do that. You can you can shape it, you know, however you want. If there's a new market you want to enter, if there's a new product or service you want to provide, if there's a new client you want to work with, if there's somebody you want to get on your team, you know, the sky's the limit. If it's there, it's there for you to do, it's there for the taking. And that's what I love about being an entrepreneur and being and having my own business is that is this opportunity to keep reinventing the wheel and stay relevant and and yeah keep keep shifting gears i guess okay well then tell us a bit more about some of the uh, the substance what were you what were you getting yourself involved in these very early days so in the very early days i i was on my own i was a consultant so to speak under the you know the the banner or the the brand of conductor and I, I got some amazing clients and I suddenly got really busy and needed to start hiring people. And a big communications agency was very interested early on in bringing, keeping the brand conductor, but, you know, being under their umbrella um, and investing in the business. And I went through all sorts of conversations with them and the numbers and the figures and meeting their board and, you know, all the rest of it. And, and, and it was coming back to this, this what we discussed, Nick, about kind of self-worth. Somewhere was niggling that I can't do this on my own. I need, you know, I need help with this. And I just remember a conversation with a friend one day who just said, are you mad? You, you're already doing it. That's why they're interested in you. You know, you don't need them. You can do this on your own. If you, if you go and you get in these early days, you know, you know, not swallowed up, but become part of a bigger organization, you're going to lose the ability to direct this and be nimble. And, and so I turned down a a lucrative kind of offer very early on. And I'm really glad that I did, because um, I think it would be a very different, 
life and business and everything for me today. So, and, and what I didn't know what I was getting my in, myself in for was, you know, employing staff, contracts, contracts with clients, bank accounts, uh, really, you know, understanding and, you know, all of the things that come with setting up a business, insurances, all of those things. It was a very swift learning curve because I wanted to do things properly from, from the start. I wanted to be like, you know, have the systems and processes of a, of a more grown-up business, even when we were, you know, even when we were starting out. So that's what we did. So let me ask a question then, Charlotte. Given you've, you've had the, the confidence and the ambition now to set up sort of conductor and things are going really, really well, what do you think you were learning or what do you think sort of skills were you particularly developing at that earliest phase? So in the early days, I spent a lot of time having conversations with an array of people, all under the guise of uh, business development or new business. What it did was, you know, I, I, met, I met so many people and had great, have great contacts and, and, and great connections and friends in our industry as a result. But I wasn't particularly focused and as a result was, you know, working myself 10, 15 hours a day in some, on some days. So I, I really, you know, during that time, I think looking back, that was about becoming way more focused, becoming, you know, pinpointing who I was speaking to, why I was speaking to them, what I hoped to achieve from the conversation and also what they could achieve from the conversation so that it wasn't just me doing my sales pitch, trying to win new work. And I, I've learned that, you know, when I meet people now, networking and functions and so on you know I really I really talk about conductor unless I'm asked and I hope well people listening may may not say that but I I hope that is the case because I'm really conscious of the fact that you know people buy people and um, we're you know humans love connection and if we connect and we think that we can work together well then then you know that that makes for a a good recipe for success in the future. And so I started to learn that in those early years. What I didn't learn, unfortunately, was that not every opportunity is a good opportunity. I think I said yes to everything. And sometimes things were out, you know, too much out of our comfort zone or weren't, we weren't paid enough for them. And I think I developed the you know, we're not a charity, <laughs> kind of, we are a commercial business with a purpose, but early on. So, so yeah, I think I, what I, I probably wasn't conscious of the time of what I was learning, but I, looking back, there were a lot of mistakes that I made, which I'm, I'm conscious of now, and hopefully history doesn't repeat. Well, that's uh, that's a good sort of um, segue because I sort of think of our audience, and they they look friendly enough, but they are a bloodthirsty bunch, and they love they love hearing about when it you know when it hasn't gone right. Um, oh. In the sort of history of in the history of sort of conducted, what would you, you know, what would you say is to, has been the you know, the biggest that's you know, the the biggest hurdle or the biggest the, the biggest sort of challenge? Well, yeah, I, I think it's been a time. There there've been quite a few. But the one that just really sprung to mind or springs to mind is when I didn't trust my gut feel on a particular client. And 
It was traumatic, to say the least. I have never cried in a meeting or in a, in a client meeting. I might have cried in other meetings, but, you know, face-to-face with the client. And I actually cried in a meeting once, the only time that I ever have, but I did. They were energy vampires. Everything was a drama. And it was a really awful scenario and situation. And what made it worse was that it wasn't just me. It was my some of my team members as well. And so... It's funny when when you're a consultant and you and you sign a contract with a client, you know, the termination clause is always from their side, you know, oh, we want that in so that if you don't do a good job, we can get rid of you. But trust me, it's also from the consultant side, because if you have a client that you're not working harmoniously with, you want to exercise that clause, which we had to do in this instance. And so, but it was protracted and it was drawn out and it, and it, and it, crept into every part of our business and it took energy from all of us and it it you know it wasn't just a kind of a, a month or two it was a year's worth of of you know real turmoil and I should have pulled the plug way sooner but yeah that was definitely a time when and and I just you know I just would not let that happen um, that was a huge learning curve for me it sounds like it. Um, um, <laughs> I'm actually getting quite fired up when I talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but I, but I agree. It's you know, you know, we we all you know, no matter what our role is, you know, we work so hard, don't we, to make really good impressions and and to win that work. That some yeah, sometimes it, it means we're willing to put up with maybe a bit a bit too much in order to 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 complete that work. Yeah, and I think what we also have to remember is as well, you know. We always think that our clients are the end of, you know, the top of the food chain, but our clients have clients and their clients have clients. And so there's, I think it's so important for even those of us who are slightly lower down the food chain, so to speak, to to exercise those rights and be, you know, as a group, you know, consultants as a group to actually stand firm and for what we believe in and, and look after our team in the process. It's really important. Okay. More important, more important than the, than the paycheck at the end of the month, at least. Yeah. Definitely more important than that. Understood. So, you know, we've been spending a lot of time sort of looking backwards. Now let's, let's sort of turn, turn ourselves to looking forwards a bit. Now, what's next for Charlotte? You know, what, what have you, what do you next want to, to learn? Yeah, so I, I I said to you at the start of the conversation, Nick, that I'm currently going through some business coaching um, because I think when you when you run a business, um, I have my my business partner and we give each other feedback and we bounce ideas off each other, but you don't get that much direct feedback except for when you ask your clients, you know, to give you feedback about how you're doing, which is obviously important. So, yeah, I'm going through this process at the moment um, and, you know, part of it is a little bit of uh, stargazing and I guess what does the, you know, where am I going in the future? What What's important to me is that, you know, whichever way our business goes and it's had, you know, different evolutions over the, the last seven years is that we remain true to our purpose around thriving and and thriving societies and that we continue to do work to 
kind of raise the level in the industry in terms of allowing inhabitants of spaces and places to thrive and facilitating that. So that's definitely something for me that I'm, you know, on that path and and will continue. And that brings in my my yoga practices and my, you know, my well-being and the other things that I'm interested in in life generally. So that's great, you know, marrying the two. I, you know, I'll be honest, it hasn't been an easy time running a business and going off on maternity leave. You know, that's a whole other conversation, I think, that that is very topical. And coming back, and I think, you know, when you're a new mum and you have a, your first child, it takes you a while to get your head around the fact that you are now a mother. So that's been the last, you know, the last few few years for me. And I suddenly feel like I'm emerging from that. And I've got this unbelievably, I've got this renewed energy and, and kind of drive to keep pushing forward and, and, and doing more in our property industry. Um, so yes, I want to, um, I want to, as I said, expand the Thrive offering. I'd love to uh, get back into another non-exec director role. Um, I did that for Orbit Homes and I loved you know that housing association and and mixed with with new build and and market sale i just found that really interesting and broadening my horizon so i'd love to do that and yes i think keep doing great work for people who actually value what i do and understand why i do it and think of me as a trusted advisor and a partner as opposed to a supplier, that's really gained momentum for us as a business, but for, for me as well. And, and hopefully in the future, that's where um, I'd like to be is, is, you know, is working with few, few clients that really value what I can bring to the table. That, uh, that sort of prompts a question that I, uh, that I wanted to ask. I asked this at the start of the, the podcast about what it was uh, like being within the, the marketing department for an established sort of consultancy in the early 2000s. 15, 16 years on, do you think the role, do you think real estate has woken up then to to marketing, creative, to brand, or is it still an uphill challenge? Definitely woken up. Thank goodness. Yes. I, I mean, you just have to look look around now. I mean, it's amazing in such a short space of time. When we started conducting, even you know, seven years ago, we were an outsourced marketing team, and that was because so many developers didn't have a marketing resource in 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 house. And now, so many people do, and if they don't, you know, and they're employing somebody like us, it was such a hard sell even just seven years ago. And now it's just a given, you know, it, it, our clients are like, oh yeah, well, you don't, you know, you don't need to explain to us why we need you. <laughs> we, do, we know that we need you. So it's changed dramatically. And there are some amazing marketeers within the property industry. There's loads more that have come from other industries as well. I was speaking to a potential client the other day and they, you know, head of brand has come across from fashion it's just, it's getting really exciting and really competitive. And, you know, if I was, 
you know, back in the, when I when I got off that airplane at Heathrow Airport and somebody had said to me, you're going to, you know, work in property marketing, I would have, which I ended up doing, I would have thought to myself, my goodness, what, like, what? No, that sounds dull. And now I think, especially for somebody starting their career in marketing or, or in insights or research or data science or, or any of these things that, you know, even architect, all these things that are the make up the whole I think it's an extremely exciting place to be with development of new asset classes and people are really pushing the boat out in terms of of what they offer their their customers now and there's a lot of uh, scope for for doing some really cool work in in the property industry well, on that really sort of positive note, I'll um, I'll bring our recording to um, uh, to an end. Charlotte, thank you so much for uh, for joining me and sharing that story. I've really enjoyed it. Oh, thank you for having me. I hope I haven't bored the listeners to death. <laughs> oh, no doubt about it. And if there is anyone starting their career in marketing who wants to get hold of me, I'd love to hear from them because, as you can hear, I'm hugely excited by 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 what the what our industry has to offer. The Urban Land Institute is the oldest and largest network of cross-disciplinary real estate and land use experts in the world, with more than 45,000 global members. The ULI's ethos of personal development makes them an ideal collaborator on our podcast, and we encourage our listeners to learn more and become members by signing up at uli.org forward slash join, quoting the promo code ACRE. Thank you for listening.